0: To Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk, I'm your host Steve Cooper and remember I'm only as hip as my guest. And I gotta tell you something people, my guest today man, he's a, he's a kick-ass guitarist and uh, he's the lead singer and lead guitarist for a great band called Anvil, which my friend Robert Anzalone listens to the song Warming Up. Every day he gets up, he listens to that for the last like two months. <laughs> And he's just, he's more than a rock star. He's, he's an inspiration, because, you know, I rewatched the documentary Anvil, the story of Anvil yesterday, and the dedication he had to pursuing his dream, most people stop a dream after two years. For him, he never lost that faith, and it worked out. And my guest is, well, do I call you Steve? Do I call you Lips? Do I call you Kudrow? What do I call you? <laughs> just don't call me late for supper. Right. <laughs> My mom used to say that. No one uses that term anymore. Oh jeez. So I gotta ask you to start. The name Lips. Where'd it come from?
1: Rob's Rob's
0: dad nicknamed me that. You know, because I, I always had something to say about everything. You
1: know, what I mean? <laughs> so he just kind of, you know. Nickname me Lips. What, what can I say? It's not. It wasn't my idea. That's for sure. <laughs>
0: but it stuck. So it's, it was a good name.
1: <laughs>
0: ah, what the hell. So nicknames. That, it could be worse. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. I mean, you could be called jerk or like you know. People call me. You know, I, I get Coop because my last name's Cooper, which is easy. But you know, Lips is good. Everyone remembers Lips. Yeah, that's, I guess. <laughs> Well, it was kind
1: of interesting after I got after of course the nickname happened, which was in around I don't know maybe I was 17, 18 years old. We started putting bands together, and then finally we it got to, you know like Rob and I've been playing since we were little kids. So that when we actually put Anvil together, we originally called the band Lips. which is kind of interesting in in a certain sense.
0: <laughs> now did that bother Rob at all? Because you know it's it, no, it's this idea. Oh. Right his idea I didn't
1: want I, why what a stupid name for a band he's going no it's great it's great man it, it all centers around you're the lead vocalist lead guitar player yeah yeah we'll just call it we'll call it after you and that you know it goes like come on man Ted Nugent right Jimi Hendrix Every. all the all your uh, lead guitar player lead vocalists call the band after their name and I'm going okay I'll, I'll go with that you know what the hell so uh, we we went like that for two three years at least, and then finally when we got the record deal, the uh, the label looked at the cover and they go, "Well, this is the music is great, everything is great. Forget about the name. The name is no good." He says they like they like the name of the album. We called it Hard and Heavy. They go, "You got to come up with a better a better name than Lips for a, for a metal band, you guys. It was you know that, that's the cutting edge right now." is to be metal, so you guys better think of something
0: a little bit more tough than lips, right? So So, how'd you come up with anvil? Whose idea was it?
1: And, 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 you know, they were were right, because in a certain sense, uh, at that particular time, and what they were saying, they don't want any confusion. You're putting uh, a new band out on the market. You don't want people to go, what is this? You want them to know instantly what the hell it is. And with a name like Lips and and bands like Horse Lips and Lips Incorporated, they're going, we don't need any confusion. Figure out another name. So Rob came up with Anvil, and of course, the name Anvil worked perfectly with the title of the album called Hard and Heavy.
0: And away we we went. That's it. Now, what, what... What turned you on to rock and roll when you were young? What was your musical influences? Everyone has different influences. Some people say they saw the Beatles for the first time and they said, to do that?" Presley.
1: Elvis Presley. I, I was I was only maybe three or four, and I saw Elvis Presley on the TV, man, and I'm going, "Wow!" and he's doing all shook up, and that was like my that was like the first song I ever. I actually ever remembered, and it's—I uh, guess that was sort of the beginning. And it's interesting because I—I I couldn't have been more than four, and we had aquariums in the house, like a, you know, fish aquariums, and there was an air pump, you know, the little little square little box air pumps, and I plugged it into the wall, and it had a like a, a steady hum, and I'm. I'm singing to the hum. I'm all shook up, uh, 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 and I can hear the harmony in the. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that's really cool!" And that was my first musical instrument—an air pump for an <laughs> for an aquarium—and I'm singing all shook up. Um, by the time I was, by the time I was ten, which of course, 1966. My dad brought home a guitar, and at that particular point in time, it was all about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and that was sort of the beginnings for me, you know, like for playing the instrument. But by then, I had already been listening to the popular uh, rock station in its day and time, and there were songs like, uh, you know, and I can still, of course, remember all of the the, the hits from the Three Beatles, you know stuff like uh, needles and pins, and and you know the, all the stuff from the from the the original the early '60s, because that, that, that's when I I guess I became musically conscious, I suppose, and uh, that's what I was gravitated towards. Uh, once the guitar came into focus, it was follow anything that had guitar in it.
0: Did so you tra- did you train I, I, yourself? I did. Did you did you train yourself? You just picked it up and listened and played by ear. Yeah, for the most part, my
1: my 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 mother sent me to guitar lessons, and I, I, it, by the by the time I was taking guitar lessons, I pretty much had quite a bit of knowledge, and I I didn't gain my knowledge really by by copying. It was actually by creating, which is actually a kind of an interesting interesting way because. I had an older older brother and sister and my, my, my older brother was a huge influence on me and he started in on me when I was little and he said, you know, you wanna be a musician, you don't you don't become famous by playing other people's music. You know, so from the time I was ten, the whole thing was about I gotta create music. That's what I'm doing this for. There's no point in doing something that I'm somebody else. Already did. What's the point? It's already been done. And I, I began making my own discoveries on how to play by creating. I I think that you know some of the early, some of my early recordings were done on the battery eyes, little tape recorders that we used to be able to buy. The little miniature reel to reels that we used to see on Mission Impossible. (laughs) Well, those are the kind of recorders that uh, that we had and I'd record I'd make music and record record all the parts on the on the tape recorder and it's actually uh, it's it's quite fascinating um, and having an older brother who was like 8 years older he brought brought home records that normally a 10 year old would never have any clue about you know like by the time I was in grade six, I guess I was about eleven or twelve. He's bringing home Jimi Hendrix albums, and that was like, oh wow! It's like holy shit, you know? Because we just followed anything that had guitar in it, anything that had electric guitar. We got our you—that's what you got to listen to. And some of the some of the first earliest lead guitar solos or or lead guitar sounding things were things like. Secret Agent Man, Johnny Rivers, right? And some of this stuff was my my uh, my favorite music. Uh, certainly, certainly, the Rolling Stones' uh, Satisfaction was the first heavy metal riff of all time, really. Although a lot of people would argue that point, but I'm sorry, it's distorted guitar going the same riff. It's it's riff music. What the hell can you? What else can you call the song Satisfaction? The riff riff music. It's the first metal rip of all times and that was like a centerpiece for me um probably one of the first songs I ever learned how to play was Satisfaction you know so it's it's actually uh you know my my knowledge grew with the with the era with with the actual invention you know when I first started playing guitar they didn't even have gauge strings there's no such thing as gauge strings you buy a set of guitar strings that's what it was and if, if you and they were like ridiculously heavy gauge you couldn't bend strings you could how are you gonna play lead guitar on that it's like playing barbed wire <laughs> <laughs> anyway my older brother had a friend in um in university that tipped us off. They said, listen, buy a regular set of guitar strings and then go to the music store and ask for the thinnest string that they put on a banjo. So, what you do is you take the six strings and you move them back one and you throw out the heaviest string. The lowest string, which was the E string, your your A string becomes your E string. So sec- everything is moved up one, and then you use the banjo string as your as your highest string, which is really thin. Now you've got like eight strings, and all of a sudden I'm going oh, and then bending strings, and it's like wow, look at this, and you can play. It's easier, it's easier to press down on the strings. It was that's the way that you began. That I began learning how to play lead guitar was first. The first thing was acquiring and uh, the knowledge of how to how to actually set your guitar up so that you could do it, and these things didn't come by word. You know how are you going to learn about this, things like that? You've got to learn from people that know.
0: There, there was no such thing as put on YouTube and find out. <laughs> isn't that isn't <laughs> that different? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like you know, like the other day, and i all the YouTube stuff because I was. I, was, I kept cutting a mango in the damn pit I kept cutting a pit and I go screw this so I went on YouTube and I say how to cut a mango and boom there it was but I can imagine for you as young as a guitarist you can't just go well what makes strings better now they can but so you were really on the cutting edge because of this guy had told you to get the banjo strings yeah I
1: mean and then you know like years years later after the, of course they've already making gauge strings and everything I'm I'm reading an article um, about Richie Blackmore and about his early years, and he did the same thing. I was <laughs> <It's> like, what? <laughs> oh, holy shit, I thought I had something that was unique. But meanwhile, that's what guitar players were doing. That was, that's, how you, uh, that's how you were able to get high or low gates, you know, really thin strings. You started using strings from other, other instruments that would normally be used on other instruments rather than
0: guitar. Now you said you said you know you were starting to create because your brother had said you know you got to create and you know be original. When did you sit there and start formulating? I need to get a band. And was it hard to meet a band that wanted you wanted to play originals? It sounds like and, and younger kids. I, yeah, I did, and there were kids. There were there, there the, the the kid that lived across the street
1: played drums, and my friend that I'm still friends with plays guitar and bass, and he lived up the street. But they never had the the desire in the same way that I did, and we did. We wrote our own song first. The first the first the first band that we put together we called it Canned Root Beer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually interesting because some of the pieces of music uh, that we actually created at the time ended up being other people's music way later. Like honestly, and I'm not saying it because. I'm trying to brag. I'm saying it, it. just that's the way things are. There's only so many notes in in every scale, and there's only so many things that you can do, right? And it's just a it's a matter of what order you put those those notes in, and what and and just sort of the combination. So uh, it, it's actually really interesting. Um, there was this one particular chord pattern that that my friend and I we created, and you don't play the. You don't play the actual open chord. You don't play the actual full chord. You play a section of it. I'll, or, or, I'll just show you what I'm talking about, and it's actually quite interesting. Um, it was a, a chord pattern that that just you know you've heard it before. <laughs> So it's B, A, G, F sharp, or or G flat. It depends on which way you're going on the neck. But what we discovered was instead of barring, like right now I chose a barring across the thing, but if you take your, your finger off the bar and just do this. That later became you've heard that
0: before. It's an Aussie song, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, <you had, laughs>
1: my friend and I wrote it when we were eleven. So, what <laughs> can I say?
0: <laughs> so, tell me how, how tell me how you met Rob because it, it amazes me. You guys have been together for so long. I mean, it, it's just when you think about it, you know, bands don't stay around for that long. They they there's always something. How did you meet Rob and did you know right away oh, you guys were what first? That, what, what, what happened was, it's, it's,
1: uh, by the time I got into uh, high school, um, my, I, I, I guess I got as far as grade 10 and my parents decided they were going to move. So here I would have been playing with this friend of mine that I was just talking about that we wrote these these uh, sort of Aussie songs years <laughs> before. <laughs> um, I stayed friends with them, but I didn't. I only moved about maybe four miles, five miles from where I was, so it wasn't out of the question that we. I would still remain friends with my original guy. But what happened was, I, I go to my biology class in grade. I guess it was grade eleven. And there's got this guy, Marty, in my class. And he says, hey, man, uh, I, I understand you're a guitar player. And I go, yeah. And he goes, so am I. He says, well, let's jam this weekend. I said, OK. I go, I, go, I go, do you know any drummers? He goes, yeah, I, I know this drummer that lives and I like that, that corner of that house, that corner house that, is in, that, that I show you in the movie. I go, oh, fuck, I pass that guy's house all the time, man. I go, sure, let's set it up. And that's where I met Rob. I went to this jam session and there was Rob and we started in. And of course, the other guitar player, he's going, let's play this song. Let's play that song. And I'm kind of bored. It's like, I don't, I don't want to play something. So Rob and I just started into one of my riffs and the guy's going, what is that? And I going, I don't know. I'm making it up as I go. And Rob's going, oh man, this is the fucking best! It's, it, you know, wow, you you love that, that really heavy rock stuff, man. This is great, and there, there's no compromise. You're not even you're not even playing. I'm I'm i have got no rules. I can play whatever I want to whatever you're playing, and it's it it, 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 it opens up when you play originals. It, it opens up a whole doorway of of ideas that you have, but you. Too afraid to use, but when when you get the opportunity, it's and somebody shows you, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's like wow, this is fantastic, and it was a a great experience for Rob to play the music that he'd never heard before. It's like wow, this is this is amazing. I'm making it up as I go. It, It was like the first jam sessions to understand what jamming really is and what creativity really was. So that was a huge gravitational aspect for Rob to me because because anything that he had done before that, it was like everything is, everything is set up and, and, and you're going to play this song by so-and-so and and this song by so-and-so. But in this particular case, he's playing nothing he's ever done before. And it's like, I can, I can express myself in ways that aren't being constricted, by the by the parameters of other people's music now you can you can open up and use all your own vocabulary make up your own vocabulary for that matter. So it, it, it was a really uh, some really special moments and on the way uh, on the way back out after we finished the jam we're walking down the street and I go, listen, we ought to put a band together. I think that I think that we we might have something here that's, that's you know, Invaluable. How you going to? How do you measure this? Like this. This is awesome. I'm. I'm I need a drummer, and you need a, a guitar player. Let's. Let's do this, and away we went. Not really thinking about what what the future was, or where where or what or how or or anything. You are just innocent kids, and away you go. Um, and we we play, we wrote music immediately. And had a whole repertoire, and away we went. We were, we became one of the drop-in centers. You know what drop-in? And it's it's an old it's an old thing out of the out of the early seventies, where the kid your the junior high schools and so forth would open up on Friday nights, and if you had a band, you could go, you could play on the stages in the gymnasiums, and it's like. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and we acquired we acquired a bass player, um, and actually the bass player originally was the kid that I grew up with, and that was that was great. So, I, but unfortunately, what happens is you, you as you grow older, you some people check out; I mean, they leave the situation because they know it's getting to the point where they're going to have to make a life change or make a decision and what what actually happened was you get to grade 12 and it's like am I going to do this am I going to make a living at doing this or am I going to university am I going to college what am I doing right and by the time you get there guys drop out from your band because they've decided I'm not doing this for a living you know my parents tell me it's it's too difficult and you're never going to make it and they believe it my parents told me all that stuff and I went you want me to turn it up <laughs> I, I, I didn't take no for an answer at all and and it was actually my older brother said don't worry about what, you're, what, what mom and dad say you got to follow what you love that's what it's all about man because what, what you love you're going to do the best And you've got a good head start. You're probably one of the best. You're a prodigy, man, because you started so young. You're doing stuff that kids that are 10 years older than you can't do. So I would suggest you don't put it down and keep going. And that's exactly what I did, regardless of what my parents said. And it's about setting up your life so that you can do it. And I made the decision at a very young age. So I really did set up my life in in the way that, I'm not gonna go to university. I don't I just can't be bothered. It's, just not, gonna, it's, not, gonna, it's not gonna do anything for me. I ended up going to college for uh, a year and a half, but I took stuff uh, like uh, cinematography and things that might be might be advantageous later for something if if I were to get involved in, in making movies or making music for movies. Something to do with entertainment, and that's what what gravitated me towards uh, going to college for for cinematography, which did end up helping me because, of course, when uh, when I wrote the basically the screenplay for the first first Anvil video, it was I knew what I was doing.
0: <laughs> now, now how how did uh, you go?
1: You know, actually, Taking a college course that actually helped in my music business. Wow, that's who's ever does that. I didn't know that you can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how did you? How did you guys get your first record deal? Because it always fascinates me. Some people, are, it just happens like that. Some people, they're busting their ass, knocking on doors. What happened? How did you get your first record deal? Well, uh,
1: actually, what what we did is there, there was no there was no getting a record deal. You know, it's interesting. And if if I had the knowledge that I have today, I would have done things differently, and I probably would have started much younger as a recording. We would have started much younger as, as a recording artist. The whole thing is is get yourself recorded and get those get that recording into the hands of A and R people at record companies. But you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. How am I going to do that when you're when you're 16, 17 years old? because you don't know so you you just don't know so what we did we eventually of course we put we put Anvil together we went out on the actually we put the band lips together we went out on the road and we went out completely as an original band which is like uh no (laughs) that doesn't work uh we go up to quebec city and here in canada um and we play play a show and people are are blown right away. But there's no record to buy. <laughs> so it's like, how do you how do you acquire an audience for your music if they haven't got something to take home with them? Right? So we go and play the shows and everything is all great. We get back and the club owner calls the the booking agent and he goes, Listen, man, the band was great but if they ever want to come back they're going to have to play some other people's music because when people come in and ask what is the band play we couldn't answer the question it's like (laughs) how frustrating is that well we picked up I don't know maybe half a dozen Ted Nugent songs a Kiss song a Rolling Stone song a, a uh, just just enough to get us by. Where we play two originals, one copy, and you do four to four to five sets a night, and away we went. And we went like that for for a couple years on the road, every fucking night playing. In in and uh, the way that gigs worked in those days, you'd pull into a club and you'd be there for a week. They pay you. I don't know, maybe a thousand bucks for a week, and you got four fucking guys, and you have got to pay pay your for your truck, and you have got to pay for your equipment, your, uh, your 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 bank loans, and everything. So what it ended up, you know, you're making twenty bucks a week, right? <laughs> so what do you do? You fucking you go and you buy groceries on 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 the the first day, and there's no refrigerators, there's no stove. So we bought a hot plate, and because of the cold winters up here in Canada, you put all your uh, uh, refrigerated type of food in between the windows, <laughs> right? And, and all along the windowsill, so you're coming in and you've got your you got your steak and, and meat and, 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 and all your stuff in the window. It's like, it's, it's insane, man. Anyway, we went like that for, for a couple of years, and eventually... Eventually, we we saved up a bit of money, right? Um, and we got to know uh, a gu- we got involved with the management company that this manager had managed the band Thor. If you ever heard of Thor, yes, yeah. the guy that used to blow up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, this guy had a lot. This manager had a lot of connections and he was able to get us working on a constant basis. And away we, we went, and we were working. And he had paid, this manager had paid for Thor to to go into the studio, into this 16-track studio, uh, I don't know, about 20, 30 miles from Toronto, where we live, in Oshawa, a place called Quest Recording. And he said, uh, listen, I've got block, a block Recording time, I bought for the other this other band. They're not using it. Give me the money, and you go use the studio time. So we went in and we recorded the first albums worth the first albums worth of material. Mixed it all and got it all done. And then the manager went and asked a whole bunch of labels to come to see us at the at the Gasworks and. She uh, some of the labels, they had no clue because there was no such thing as metal. You know? it's all like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> they got a fucking, this guy's a fucking lunatic uh, singer. This guy's fucking nuts. Like, I was literally, they had hanging chandeliers, and I'd actually grab onto the chandelier and swing on the chandelier and jump down in the audience and, get, and <laughs> down on my knees, just playing at people's feet, fucking loose, you know, just going nuts. Anyway, the, the, some of the agents and stuff that came out, one guy goes, no, I don't want to hire that band because the Stinger's got dirty knees. Like, just some of the, the shit that I've had to live through. I didn't want to hire the band because my knees were dirty because I was playing on my fucking knees at the guy's fucking feet. Okay? <laughs> so it's like, holy fuck. Can't put on enough of a show for the guy. The guy's going to complain about the about the dirt on my fucking knees really doesn't say shit about the band anyway there's a Canadian Canadian label showed up uh, called Attic Records and the guy turns to the manager he goes if you haven't got 50 grand invested in this band you're out of your fucking mind I'm signing this and that was that was the beginning right there and that's how we got our deal but it's like I said, we went and recorded our own first album and actually pressed it, and it was called Lips Are Hardly Heavy, and we had a thousand copies, which got sold in about two weeks. <laughs> it did really well. Um, and the label, of course, they advised us to change the name, which we did, and the record came out, and it it made a lot of, Made a lot of impressions, especially particularly in Europe, because that's where that's where this that kind of music was actually coming from and where it was originating from. So it it, it definitely it definitely sparked up the whole situation and the way we went. Now we did the first, of course, we did the first three albums. We we uh, things were were doing quite well, particularly after the second album, which sent us to sent us to England, and we actually got to play a very, very limited amount of shows uh, at that particular moment in in 82. So we come back, we end up, after only really doing virtually, no. you do the one show in Donington, two shows at at, at the Marquee Club in London, and you come home because, you know, we were supposed to go out with Def Leppard, but Def Leppard goes, forget it, man, we're not going to... They didn't come out of the studio for another eight months after that, so we 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 couldn't we we missed missed that opportunity in 1982 to go do a tour. So the following year we put out another album, um, which was Fortune Fire. And in between that particular time, Motorhead had asked me to join their the band. Lemmy had actually joined asked me to join, which I didn't do because I was in the middle of writing and recording Forge of Fire, so I, I didn't do it. And the next time I see Lemmy, he had already gotten Brian Robertson into his, into the band, and the first thing he did, he sticks the headphones on, he lips got to listen to this. So I listened to it, and it's uh, another perfect day, and I thought, well, fuck, that's, that's great, man. That, that's fucking awesome, man. I'm, I'm happy you found somebody, and I'm sorry I didn't do it, but I, I, I've also been recording I've got an album called Fortune Fire and it's coming out in a month or two and he goes, Listen, I want you guys to open up for us, so come to the UK and you'll open up for us. So we did the we did the Motorhead eighty three tour of of the UK, which was fucking amazing, to say the least. And um you know that that was that was it for those albums. That was basically fundamentally what we got to do. And it wasn't until uh, after that that we got involved with David Krebs management, which is Aerosmith's uh, manager, Ted Nugent's manager, Scorpion's manager, uh, big-time management. And we are thinking, okay, now we're going to make it. We got the right management. We're, we're all good to go. We just need a better record deal. Um, meanwhile, uh, John Z from, from – craze management and megaforce records is banging on our door and he wants to sign us he wants us and we're figuring well fuck this guy he's got virtually no track record at that time he no one knew who fucking that guy was it wasn't they didn't start happening really until late 83 so it was definitely out of the question so we ended up staying with david krebs who had no real uh, knowledge of what what was coming or what what we were really about? You know, you're playing a song like six six six, and he's telling you guys, got, "You shouldn't be playing songs like that." But meanwhile, that's exactly what we should be doing. But he doesn't know that. He's telling, he's advising me to go in the opposite direction. When no man, that's what Metallica and Slayer and Anthrax are going to do in a year from now. And I'm doing it a year ahead. Well, the guy puts us out on fucking tour with Daryl Smith for five shows. And we get to the Philadelphia spectrum. And the place is filled with all kinds of fucking record company people. We do the fucking show. And they come back to the backstage. And complete, the, the same guy, the same fucking guy that signed Metallica is going there, I don't get this music. What do you call this? metal? What do you mean? What do you call it? He's going, well, how are we going to market this? What what is this? It's like all new to me. David didn't particularly, that manager didn't particularly like the guy that was sitting there talking to me. So basically, the guy who was going to sign us right there, the manager blows him off, tells him, get the fuck out of here. All the other labels, all the other labels were going, we want the first three albums for free they wouldn't pay any record royalty advance to help pay off the, the red line that we had created over the three albums so the, the labels going what the fuck we're, we're owed thousands of dollars we're not giving this away for free you gotta be on fucking glue so there we were stuck so we're de- the, the labels they wouldn't they didn't know what we were and even if they did, they wanted all of our first three albums and not pay for it. So now you're you're fucked. So we couldn't get released from David Krebs for three years because he's trying. He, he just kind of put us on the back burner. Well, oh well. You win some, you lose some. To him, to us, it's it's my fucking life. What do you mean? Right. Win <laughs> some, you lose some. Fuck oh off. Anyway, Michael Schenker was comes. To, Toronto and David shows up at the at the fucking at the show and I grab him by the like in the movie when I grab the guy by <laughs> the same fucking same fucking anger. <laughs> Let my fucking band go. <laughs> See lets the band go and we 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 uh we had put a record together and and by that point we were pretty much poisoned by by that intervention, by David Krebs, we were poisoned because by then now both Rob and Dave, our, our guitar player were convinced we've got to become commercial. And it's like, guys, we got to be writing songs like 666, man. What do you mean commercial? What the fuck? So there was a lot of head bashing within the band. The beginning of the end of that chapter chapter is really what, what, what eventually happened. Um, we got signed by Metal Blade. We put out a record that, that I felt I compromised. I compromised. Instead of being the hard ass that I was when I was a kid and was going to do it my way and fuck you, now I was kind of going, okay, guys. Let's try it. Well, try it your way and see what happens. Well, we first of all, we got signed to a, an independent, which was Metal Blade Records, which is like having an ant trying to push the... Empire State building. It's not gonna move. It's just not gonna happen, man. And you know, John Z listens to the record, he goes, It's great, you got a song here, Mad Dog. If if somebody properly pushed this and get, get every radio station across the country playing it, which never happened because we didn't have that label. So that album ended up pretty much a failure. And the one that followed it. And the one that followed that, because we were all something all that was signed to that independent that did virtually not nothing to forward its fans. You need you need to get on a real tour. You need tour support. You need money in order to propel a career. You can't just put a band out and just sit there and watch to see what happens. That's not the way it works. You've got it needs to be promoted, it needs to be put on tour with, and, and given it's 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 day in the sun, otherwise you don't know what you got you're never going to know what you got unless you, you expose it, so there we were, we had done the first three albums with virtually no exposure now we did another three albums with virtually no exposure, there's six albums virtually no exposure and by that point um, the original, the other two original members had had enough you know, at that point they've been with us for ten years and it just it it, it wasn't turning into the, the big money making machine that they hoped it to be, which I never expected or really wanted. I really just wanted to make a living. It wasn't about making a million bucks, it was about making a million songs. And it still is. So a lot of my philosophy has been unchanged. So they left the band and we started down that road, and, and it wasn't until, uh must have been 2005, and by then we'd put out 11 albums, or actually 12 albums, and uh, I get this email from this kid that I knew from playing the marquee, when, I, when I, on that fucking, going back to 1982, we played the marquee, a kid came and knocked at the door, and... Introduced himself, and it's his kid Sasha Gervazi. And we made friends with him. And you know, he kind of came out on the road with us up to Quebec, and we had had a lot of fun. He was able to, he was a drummer, and he really loved what Rob was playing. So it was a real experience for him. And of course, being 15, 16 years old, a huge impression on him. And here, some 25, to 30 years later, <laughs> I get an email from the guys going, Hey, man. <laughs> Um, where? How you guys been? Wow, well, been recording. I got twelve albums. I go, fuck. You got to come visit me. So, visit you. Well, where are you? you you're you you're still living in the UK? He goes no, no. I'm down in Los Angeles. Okay. So he sends. He tells me, don't worry about it. I'm going to pay pay for your ticket. You're going to come and stay at my place in Los Angeles. And I'm like, what the fuck? What, what is? It? And I called him T-Bag. I'm going, what the fuck is T-Bag? I'm like, what the fuck? What's he doing, right? I get down to Los Angeles and T-Bag drives up in a in a, in a a Jaguar, in a convertible Jaguar. And I'm looking and I see the guy and I'm going, I don't fucking believe it because it's, you know how kids, they when you're a teenager, your arms look too long for your body. and <laughs> you, you know, you're disproportionate because you're, and here he is, he's a full-grown man. <laughs> the last time I saw him, he was 16, and now he's in his 30s, right? It's like, this is fucked up, man. <laughs> but I get in the car with him, and he starts telling me, yeah, man, I I, uh, I had a lot of troubles in my life. I, After I stopped hanging around with you, I ended up fucking fucked up, and I, I, got, I had to clean up, and then I went to university, and I got my fucking degrees and i ended up in in los angeles and i became a screenwriter and he goes i did a movie called the terminal for steven spielberg and i went holy fuck (laughs) what (laughs) i just saw that movie i saw your name there and i didn't put it together until this second i'm like fucking sitting in his jaguar and i'm going oh my god this guy's a fucking has fucking made it, right? Like, I'm thinking this guy's fucking made it. He's written mu- movies for fucking Steven Spielberg. I'm fucking, can't believe it, right? But it's, it's the reality. It's a true reality. This is what's going on. So, uh, I, we hang out that whole weekend and it, it, it just have a fucking, it was, it was great. What a fucking, what a great fucking weekend that was for both of us. And we ended up going over to this guy's house, um, that live basically on Malibu beach. And I'm sitting on the beach with, with, with the, uh, with Sasha and his buddy and his wife and him and his buddy go into the guy's house to make some coffee. And I'm just sitting outside with, with the guy's wife and she's washing the dog and we're just, you know, having a nice friendly chat, whatever. Meanwhile, Sasha's having a conversation with his buddy. and His buddy is actually the uh, cr- one of the producers for Schindler's List. A guy by the name of Steve Zalian. And Steve goes, who the fuck did you bring to my house? <laughs> <laughs> the Sasha goes, oh, that's, that's lips from the band Anvil. He goes, what the fuck is an Anvil? What the fuck? <laughs> what, what are you telling me? About? What is this? And he's going, well, it's this band Anvil. They've got like a dozen albums out. The guy's 50 years old and he still believes believes in that he's going to make it. The guy's going, you know what? You know what you got right here? Because you got the fucking subject of one of the most amazing movies you could make. And that, of course, bing, 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 in Sasha's mind, he's going, maybe the guy's got something. Maybe he's right. Two, three weeks later, I'm home and Sasha calls me, and he goes, listen, man, I'm coming up to Toronto, come pick me up at the airport. Okay, so, okay, whatever, I come and pick him up at the airport, he goes, okay, take me over to my Uncle Marty's, because Sasha had family here in Toronto, so I knew where it was, I hadn't been there in 25, 30 years, but what the hell, okay, I'll take him to your Uncle Marty's. (laughs) So we got to his Uncle Marty's, and um, Uncle Marty, of course, had been on vacation, so That's where Sasha was staying. So he brings me into the house, sits me down in their living room, and he goes to me, listen, I'm going to make a movie about Anvil. And I just went, what? He says, yeah, I'm going to make a movie about your band. And he explained to me the angle in which it was going to happen. That it wasn't going to be about a history. It was going to be about what we're going to do now, not about what we did it's about what we're doing now and I thought hmm, that's an interesting that sounds really that sounds fucking amazing actually and as I'm sitting there I just, I just broke out crying because I came to realize that in my failure when I was in my early, late 20s early 30s and I thought Well, all my opportunities have left. You know, like what we're talking about, after the Metal Blade stuff and everything, I figured, well, what the fuck? I'm just kind of gliding through. I'm not... There's no no real buzz on the band, and I can continue going like this endlessly, putting out records and really not making much of a difference. But my whole thought was... What I really need is one of my old fans from when I was young to have grown up and gotten into a position of of some kind of power where they own a record company, or for fuck's sakes, is a fucking screenwriter. (laughs) So kind of when I came to realize that my, uh, that my, my, my intuitions about my future about a fan coming back and helping us was right on the money i was absolutely correct and when i realized that i went this is this is the boat this is my this is this is my moment so all these years and all these albums it wasn't fruitless it wasn't meaningless this is now given it all significance there was a reason for everything
0: no, I got a question for you. And,
1: and the way that I thought, listen, I, 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 I've got everything that it takes to actually become famous. <laughs> Certainly, the, the ability and the and the the um, I guess the, the, the magnativity or the, the of, of personality, I, I can bring it. I'll bring it. You know, you're going to put a camera on me. I'm not. I'm not intimidated by it. I can work with it. It's not a problem. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna bring that success. You need the right subject, and you got the right fucking guy. That's what was going on in my mind. And when I realized who was going to make a movie, and and what, what it was going to be about, that's why I was crying. I knew my fucking ship come coming, and everything was all worth.
0: All the hell that I've been through. When you say, you know, when you look back when you know in your late 20s and all that, what you finally got this break, this movie, but what kept you with the passion to keep striving before that happened? Because you went up, you, you were putting out music and, and you had to feel a little frustrated and pissed. What kept you going?
1: Well, you, you, the thing is, you. you, you know, what keeps it going is the fact that we had built we had built a, a, a following um, from the early '80s that was following us all the way into the '90s, enough so that see that's a thing that people don't you can you can you can have all the negativity and say everything that you want. This band never made it. Well, actually, in a certain sense, if you if you really kind of scratch away or look at what the essence we had made it you've made it when you when you can put out your original music like if you think about it in the in the whole in the whole sense of making it is being able to write and record and get it released to to a fan base and we did that 12 fucking times that's not a failure <laughs> Okay, that's not failure. It's not ultimate success because I didn't make millions of dollars. Because that's how the fucking world looks at, at things. Everything is measured by dollars and cents, not by the fucking actual, the actual fucking physical aspect of what you've done. The guy who really wins in the music industry is the guy that puts out the most music, not the guy who makes the most money. Because the, the whole thing is about art. It's not about money. Because some of the best art never makes money. Right. The guys like guys like like uh, Vincent Van Gogh never made a dime, but he's one of the most famous artists of all fucking time. So it has nothing to do with that. And and if, if you want to talk about other things, Motorhead never made it as big as Iron Maiden. Does that mean that Lemmy should quit? Right. Well, I didn't make it as big as Motorhead. Does that mean I should quit? So that's you ask me why? Why would I quit something that's actually working? True. I've got a a following that's paying for my records every time, and we're not talking about cheap records. There was enough people to fucking pay for quite expensive, expensively made records. It's not low grade. It was actually a cut above that. It's not. it, It really. It really has been
0: all along. So after the movie, though, all of a sudden you have this new crowd. First of all, did you go to the premiere and did you, did you see a final cut of the movie before it happened? What were you expecting when you went to see the movie?
1: Well, the thing is, for me, I was there through the whole, the whole building process. So there was no watch it at the end and see what you think. I was part of making it completely, completely, integrally, integrally. Involved in making it. Let me see who the hell's calling right now. Okay, just wobble. <laughs> I'll, I'll call him back after. Look at today's my day off, and he's still. We haven't even got a day off. I'm still going to see him today. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What 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 can be said? Is you know. A lot of people say it's a hard luck story. No, it's 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 not necessarily hard luck. It's hard work. That's really what it all is. And it's you've got to believe in yourself, and, and it, it follows through eventually. Eventually, if you work hard enough and long enough at something, you you've got to find success. And let's face it, it was an it, 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 it's 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 it was an influential. Inspirational band. It's, it had it, it, it things about it that no one else had done before. Everybody stole it from us and ran the ran the field with it, and left us left us like like Slash said dead. You know what I mean? Left us for dead. But the thing is, we didn't die. Right. We kept going. <laughs> That's the whole thing.
0: Now, after the movie this popular. How does your career? How does that affect your career? All of a sudden, are you know, you're getting a whole new fan base. How exciting was that for you? Because as you said, you've always had a fan base, but now you're getting a new fan base, and people are going, "Holy shit!" You know, you know, a lot of people are going, "Wait, Anvil, this is great! This is a great movie." How? What? What was going through your mind? You always had the dream. You always stayed focused. when oh, that it, started it's actually
1: interesting because, because visually, visually speaking. I'm extraordinarily famous okay um, but you have to understand there's a huge huge, massive disconnect in the sense that you've got you've got country and western people you've got rappers you've got every every aspect of humanity is watching that film and only this much of the audience is your audience for real did it increase that little audience? A little bit. But, but more than anything else that I'm more, most grateful for, it opened up the door for young kids of today to realize who and what we were. And they don't even listen to the other old bands. They're listening to Anvil because they saw the movie. And these are new, young metalheads learning about metal from Anvil, not, not from the big four. Because the big four are already old news. But Anvil's a new news, so that, that they jump on board in that. It's, it's actually quite fascinating. Um, our audience today is, 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 I would say, as much as 75% of people coming to see Anvil have never seen us before, if not more. And out of that, I would say at least 20%, if not more, have never been to a metal show in their life. I mean, we've got <laughs> some of the stuff that I've actually seen. It's just unbelievable. you got families coming to see the band. Like a father who bought our records when he was when he was 18 years old is now in his 40s. And he's bringing his own kids to see his favorite band from when he was a kid, and they got to know us from the movie. So it's like it's like going to Disney World. You know, I mean, they're coming to see Anvil. It's it's a really crazy shit. But uh, at the same time, I'm very very proud of it, and very very uh, very very happy with the outcome. Um, it's increased it's increased our 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 sales exponentially. Um and we're, we're we're world famous. there is, there isn't and what that has actually set up nonstop work. And I have not done I'm very proud and happy to say I haven't done a food delivery in 14 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, how are you dealing with the whole? Pandemic and not being able to tour, you're creating because you seem like you always write and you're always coming. You've had you have such a prolific body of work. How are you dealing with this now? Because that's your life. You know, you people want to well, see it's, you. It's it's just so it's so it's such a
1: horrible fucking horrible uh, set of circumstances in a sense. After all this work and after all that, we gaining we gained an incredible momentum that we've had. Um, we put out, I don't know, six six albums since the, since the movie, so it, it's, it definitely didn't put anything didn't slow us down in that that regard. We've been touring and and playing and doing doing absolutely amazing. And now this pandemic, we go to England, we're playing, we did seventeen shows. All of a sudden, there's a pandemic. You got to go home, or you're not going to get home. And meanwhile, we've got friends over in the UK. Don't worry, coming. Come and stay at our fucking place and you can wait until the pandemic's over and continue your, your tour. It's like then we're getting the word, No, the whole world is closing down. You gotta go home, man. Now <laughs> So we get to the get to the fucking airport, right? And we had gotten emergency flights, we've got British Airways to take uh, to take a flight to New York, New York uh, and then Delta Air Lines to, to Toronto. So we get to the airport but right? Get to British Airways, and landmark passports, get ready. She takes a look. Oh, these are Canadian passports. You can't go. What? Yeah, they just, about 15 minutes ago, they closed all all entries into the United States. You guys can't go home, can't go back that way. Oh, fuck, no. (laughs) Okay. So they said, well, maybe if you go over to Delta Airlines, they'll be nice enough to give you a lift all the way home. So going to Delta Airlines from fucking British Airways in in Heathrow Airport is like an hour of fucking walk. Okay, <laughs> you're, you're, I don't think people could realize how the <laughs> fuck, like how big that fucking place is. Anyway, we we're going across the whole fucking back and forth. Anyway, we end up back end up back at British Airways, and by this time I've got my travel agent on the phone. I'm going, look at they're fucking us around, large. Just get back to British Airways right now. I want to talk to somebody there. So I go back to the I go back to the, the the desk and I hand my phone to the lady behind the desk, and she's handing the phone around to all the other agents. They get us a lift home. They get us. They get a fucking direct flight home. Everything's all good. I get home three days later. I got COVID. I handed my phone to frontline workers. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so, are, are you. Are
1: you oh, the first fucking month that I'm home, my wife is living in a different part of the house. I hadn't <laughs> seen my wife for fucking two months, man.
0: <laughs> so, I got to ask you are, are you working on new material now? And as you're oh, writing. Oh, yeah, book- I got
1: another album already written. Now, imagine, I put out the album last uh, February. 14th, Going on tour starting in uh, the beginning of March. We do seventeen shows. We get to about the twentieth of, of or eighteenth or nineteenth of, of, of February, and we get we get. That's when we had to come home. We had forty dates that we left behind, which really sucked. You know, you got forty shows that you couldn't do so uh, you know uh, fuck go back into rehearsal and go wow well, fuck not much else to do there's no sense rehearsing the songs we already know let's write another one <laughs> so at this point i've got another another album written how, so we're gonna go we're gonna go we're gonna go and record it this this uh this uh, uh summer
0: how do you do? how do you keep you 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 punch out so much work. How do you just keep creating? I mean, it's it's amazing. It's like you you know. I talk to people. It took us this long. You are like, yeah, we you know. I came home. I was in COVID, so we did another album, which is amazing. But how? Where does it come from? Where, what part? What 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 kind of brain do you have that you you just come out with this stuff so easily? Well, you know, I, I, I'm the I'm the type of person that I don't I don't
1: I don't question I don't, or even think about that. It's it's you know you smoke a bit of pot and it's like it opens up the fucking imagination and you sit and you riff. I've got, there's over 400, I compiled over 400 songs in a number of months, okay, of just pieces of, and the way that what I say is I'll sit here in this room, pick up my guitar, uh, write three or four riffs, which is three or four songs because one riff you just need to fill in all the blanks and you've got a song the whole thing has come up with that first riff that's a lot of guys go i got i got writers i got writers block it's like i don't even know what the fuck that is i just don't relate it's like what the fuck is that like how do you get that Either you, my 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 feelings about 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 writing, and it's been that way since I, I was a kid. It's on or off. It's not a question of can I think of something. It's it's I can't stop thinking of things. <laughs> it's, How do you shut it off? <laughs> that, that's that's actually a better question. How do you shut it off? Do you? And, and I can't. I can't. It's a, it's just endless so that, that, that's really I don't really it, it's not a question of where does it come from it's I, I don't care <laughs> it's, how do you set it off how do I make my I, I, it's just not it's not going to happen I was born to do this that's what I do so and that's what it is it's either you are or you're not and I guess I am so that's it. <laughs>
0: Well, it's awesome, Lips. I want to thank you, man. Hey, can you do me a favor? I I, I saw your guitar. Can you just play a little lick for my friend for warming from warming up? Because this guy lives in L. I know when I lived in L. A. And he just loves that song. Oh, fucking what? I haven't played it in so long. I don't even
1: remember. I can barely remember it. <laughs> no worries, then. <laughs> barely remember it. <laughs> but what I could do is I could. I'll play you. How uh... oh, this is. I'll play a second or. or, or.
0: Awesome, Lips. Hey, man, I, I really want to thank you for coming on again. Uh, it was it was great to talk to you. As I said, uh, you're you're inspiration. You know, you're know, you someone who sat there, and, and you've kept with your dream, and you've achieved your dream, and you've always done well, but you've sat there, and no matter what obstacles, you stayed there, and we need more of that in life because everyone just gives up now after, like, one try. You know, they sit there and go, oh, I can never do it. Yeah, that's just that's
1: that's sad. That's sad. You, 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 you give up on your dreams. You, what's the point of being alive? Like to, to me, I just don't get that. It's, 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 I can't live that. I can't live that way. You've got to have something to look forward to. And, and it's you're in power. You, you can't wait for other people to do things for you. You've got to do it. You've got to participate in your own fucking future. That's what it's about. And if you don't, you won't have a future. And that's what I've discovered, that everything that, everything is about going out and getting it. And, and that's, that, that's been my, that's been my winning, my winning uh, philosophy is that you've got to go out and get it. And you don't get it when you quit. You're definitely mm-hmm. never going to get
0: it when you quit. Exactly, man. Thank you so much. Uh, people, uh, go check out Anvil. You know, go watch the movie, buy their albums, go listen to music. Listen, man. Get your take your hat off and fucking rock and roll. Because they kick ass. And he's one of the best guitarists out there, so you'll enjoy it. And so check out Anvil. Go to my website, Coopertalk.net. You can find over eight hundred and thirty episodes. Email me Cooper at CooperTalk.net. Twitter at Cooper Talk. Instagram at Cooper Talk One. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. That was